Classic as always. So next week we'll have the official intro? Next week. Are we have is someone making it for us as like customized or are we just No, we're we're gonna find one. We have the editing software now. Okay. Well, should we banter longer or should we just get into it? I feel like we don't banter enough. I think we should the, the intro should be you singing Sweet Caroline. Okay. Da, da, da. That'd be fun. <laughs> um so this is episode number I want to say I have written down number eight, but I think that's wrong. I'm pretty sure it's number nine. It is number nine. Yeah, we have eight. No, it's number nine. And we have episode number nine of the Strength Issue Podcast. And today we're discussing cardiovascular adaptations to training. What? I said you only had adaptations. I said you you interrupted me. Cardiovascular adaptations to training. I'm not going to write my exact script. But, wow, we're off to a rough start. We have a lot to say. We've already spoken a lot about how we want to say about all of our talking points, but the major topic, talking points are going to be bio, bioenergetics, where you're going to be a, a student in Sobo's physiology class, so it will be in uh, simple to understand language. You won't have to have had uh, your, your prereqs accomplished in exercise physiology course. After bioenergetics, we're going to talk about the training variables involved in cardiovascular adaptations. Might touch on biofeedback and breathing at the end, but the the major uh, crux of this show is going to be about the bioenergetics and the training variables and actionable ways that you can improve your cardiovascular fitness for specific uh, aerobic goals. So, So if you want to just open it up with this little... Uh, lecture piece, so to speak. You have the floor. Okay. Well, I, we have we have Addie with us again today. So, so our guest our guest lecturer she might chime in every once in a while. So just for our listeners ahead up, the screaming is my child, not me, or it could be Zach. Who knows? Um, <laughs> so when I teach this to my my students, I try to simplify this as best we can. So. With bioenergetics, you might hear it as metabolism or kind of other people talk about, you know, we hear about the metabolic conditioning. Um, That's the metabolism, the bioenergetics that we like to talk about. And it's primarily broken up into three main categories. And these are kind of, you know, fundamentally what every ex-phys textbook and physiology textbook will have. The names may vary depending on whether it's a European author or a you know, a new age author, but there's basically three systems. There is um, the creatine phosphate system, which is some people may call the short-term explosive system. There's the the anaerobic glycolytic system. Some people call it the glycolytic system. Some people call it um, glycolysis. Um, And then there's the oxidative system. You might hear people sometimes call this, this is the Krebs cycle, the electron transport chain. Um, So you have three big systems and traditionally, they are most often broken up by how long they last in duration. So that phosphocreatine system is about 0 to 12 to 15 seconds of work. You have about that much energy in that system. Um, your glycolysis, um, your anaerobic system, is probably anywhere between 45 seconds and 90 seconds, upwards of you know a minute and a half for some of the elite people. And then your oxidative system is – two minutes and beyond your marathon, your three hours, your ultra marathon runners primarily use that system. So 
you got to take into consideration there's a duration aspect that we just talked about, and then there's an intensity aspect. So the higher the intensity you go, the more you shift into that creatine phosphate system. So if you're going 100% all out as hard as you can, you are using that phosphocreatine system, and you are probably only going to be able to go as hard as you can for 10 to 12 seconds. Um, you know, an elite sprinter is like the 200-meter dash. You can get about 20 seconds Usain Bolt's in the 19s. Um, so the harder you go, the more 100% go you are reaching and peaking in that system. You slow down a little bit. You're going about 85%, 85 to 90%. You're now in that glycolytic system. Um, and you can go a little bit longer at 90%. And then if you slow down to 60 to 70%, now you're in that oxidative system and you can go for a substantial amount of time. So what I tell people, the easiest way to think about this is if I go hard, how hard can I go? And if you want to test this, just get on an aerodyne or a, um, a salt bike or a erg, ski erg or a, a rowing erg and just go as hard as you can right out the gate and see how long you can go. So traditionally, we test this with kind of a, a wind gate test, or you can just do it on your own. Hop on that assault bike and say, I'm going to go as hard as I can till I can't go anymore. And you're basically fatiguing that system. If you, you know, think that's, that's where we would call the red line. If you are going above that 95%, you are definitely redlining yourself. Um, you, in this point, this is kind of where we talk about touching into that lactate system. Um, then if we talk about the anaerobic system, we are the anaerobic glycolysis. This is a little bit longer. Um, this is kind of maybe your, your 500 meter row, if you will. This should be a you know minute and a half to two minutes, depending on how well you are at rowing. This is your 100 meter dash to uh, you know 800 meter dash if you're a runner. So when you think about how you would test these or what you're trying to fill kind of outside the, the laboratory, this is what you're going to do. If you're going to go a hundred meter sprint, you're going to go out and run a hundred meter sprint as hard as you can. But if I tell you to go run an 800 meter sprint, you're not going to run a fast 800 meter sprint, just like you'd run the hundred meter dash. So you, we self-regulate because we know our systems aren't going to be available for that long duration. So intensity and duration are go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. I go hard. I can only go hard for a short period of time. If I reduce my level of intensity, I can go for a long period of time and I can use my oxidative system. So it seems pretty self-explanatory if you understand and you've kind of done that with your body. You might not understand there's three systems that are in play at all times, um, but they're, they're constantly working um, together to fuel you. So even if you are running a marathon, you're still going through anaerobic glycolysis. You still may be burning some of that phosphocreatine. Um, you're just not doing it at the intensity that you would if you were going and running a 100-meter dash. So uh -huh. when you think about this, the energy supplies go from being finite, kind of really short period with that phosphocreatine, and going a little bit longer with the anaerobic glycolysis, and then finally maxing out with our time with the oxidative system. Um, and, and it just basically... Um, at the end, it boils down to a supply and demand. How you have a huge demand for energy, but the supply is real minimal in that phosphocreatine system. It's a little bit better in the anaerobic glycolysis. In the oxidative system, 
the demand drops, but the supply is there so you can go forever. And the supply all comes down to how well our body can produce ATP. So I'm not going to get into, you know, glycolysis and the Krebs cycle, but our bodies become more efficient at producing energy as we train and as we move through these energy systems. Where it's not like when you go to anaerobic glycolysis or oxidative that the creatine phosphate turns off, it just dims a little bit as the other one becomes brighter. Yeah, so it's just, it's kind of a give and take. Like one will be the highest. You might be, you know, at a 800 meter dash, you might be 75% glycolysis, 5% phosphocreatine, and then whatever the remainder oxidative. So the first system that you had mentioned, that which is shortest in duration and, and highest in intensity, I think is often misunderstood. Um, I, the bike analogy is just a very simple way to approach it. But if someone were to ask, well, what if I did, uh, and maybe a, the power lifter who's asking this would know because their cardio might not be tip top, why uh, a one, two, or three rep max would not fall in that system or why say a snatch or clean and jerk wouldn't fall in that quick bout uh, or maybe even just a vertical jump wouldn't fall in that system. Why, why is that something different just to really kind of clarify that? So, yeah, I mean, traditionally, and I know this isn't textbook. So if you have a textbook and you're in a college ex class right now, you're going to see that a vertical jump or a broad jump is what they could define as an anaerobic power test. Um, it's more of a strength power test is testing how, you know, how strong in a forceful contraction your body can produce to, to propel you up in the air. Um, it's not going to test that system. So you think about a vertical jump, it should take less than a second to jump. So in one second, you're not stressing that system. You're not burning through all that ATP and, you know, making our body rephosphorylate it with creatine. Um, same thing with a 3RM. Yeah, you might be doing a squat. Your 3RM might take you know, 20 seconds if it's heavy enough and you go slow enough, but it's not like you're fatiguing that phosphocreatine system because the the movement is slow enough. And even though it's that short duration, it's still not stressing your metabolic system. It's not like when you get done with a heavy squat, you have fatigued one of the metabolic systems. Uh, a good, uh, just simple measurement might be you have to be breathing whether it's long and slow and you finish the workout, you're aware of the breath or somewhere in the middle to short and fast, you're breathing quite heavily. Uh, there is probably perhaps just, uh, if not a noticeable, definitely some uh, awareness of having exerted yourself by way of your uh, ventilation, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think anytime you have a heavy load on your body, you're probably not doing normal breathing and you're holding your breath. And so that's, that's one way you're out of breath. Like, you know, you do a one RM, you're probably going to come out breathing pretty heavy. Your blood pressure spiked. You probably shunted some blood to some areas of your body. So using I'm breathing heavy as a, as a pure guide that you've stressed a metabolic system is kind of a false indicator. You know, we all can do a one RM and come out and you're breathing heavy and huffing and puffing. That's just because you had, you know, 400 pounds on your back for 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So when we get into uh, strength training, it's 
clearly defined, and, and, and this is just, you had mentioned the, without saying training variables exactly, but you spoke about how duration and intensity go hand in hand, but perhaps we can get a little bit more into what might not be as well uh, or as uh, numerically defined with sets and reps, uh, but a little bit more into the training variables of cardiovascular uh, adaptations. Unless well, you have some. Well, one thing I was going to ask, you know, when we were giving those examples, we were talking about 1RM, 3RM, um, and then you're coming, you are coming out breathing heavy, but that is just because you're not that normal breathing or getting really tight to do that. What if something that was like a, a 10 by three, but with incomplete rest. So, but would that then look more like a metabolic type training, even though it's with the squat and with weights? Well, yeah, you can, and this is kind of a, kind of a new, uh, kind of focus of research is can I elicit a metabolic response through resistance training? And you can, you just have to decrease the, the rest and kind of increase the tempo of your lifts so that it does have a metabolic taxing effect. So, you know, you do your, you know, four sets of 10 and you only have a 30 second rest and those sets of 10 are done pretty fast so that there's, there's an energy expenditure um, output that you have to account for. So you can increase your metabolic demand through resistance training. It's just a little bit different to program. You're not doing full rest. You're not doing full recovery. Your lifts have to be a little bit more tempo oriented. Um, you know, not this rest for full recovery for 90 seconds or five minutes. It's got to be a little bit more tempo oriented. Uh, hey, just because just you said the word, when you say tempo, what are you meaning there? The tempo of the lift or the, the rest between the sets or what does that exactly mean? Be, I mean, it's a, a, you know, kind of a cool idea. It could be a variation of anything. So it can be the tempo of the lift. So you can be very dynamic with your, your tempo and, and, you know, you don't want these long, slow, drawn out grinding, you know, lifts. So you're not going to be at 95 plus percent. You might be down in the 70% and you might be able to knock out 10 reps in 20 seconds. So kind of a, a built in system for this is like an EMOM. It's probably the easiest way to, if you try to program for this, like an EMOM or like every 30 seconds you go where the rest is controlled and you know, your, your work has to be done during that, you know, that one minute period. So if it, you're doing five squats and it takes you 30 seconds, the first set, and then all of a sudden the next set takes you 35 and then 40. I mean, you're, you're building up that metabolic effect because your rest is decreasing and your time under the bar is, is increasing. So, I mean, EMOMs are really great at kind of trying to elicit a metabolic effect with strength training. I apologize for trying to get to the training variables too early because there actually is a fair amount more to talk about. One thing I want to kind of bring, we've brought this to question many times with how to train for CrossFit as many people keep the energetics very high uh, always um, and that is the cost expenditure for these systems for each system uh, and knowing that whenever you're training these systems there is a degree of fatigue uh, more or less per system that you take on and it's helpful to know about that so if you your entire life have been training CrossFit uh, you've only ever done Fran type durations. You would learn very quickly that you just couldn't keep that up. 
you would have to monitor fatigue by somehow changing, and I guess training variables would be a part of this, some of the variables, one being uh, time. Uh, and if you and intensity. and intensity, as Sobo said, they go hand in hand. And, and as we increase time, that intensity changes so that you just learn in your practice that you can't keep up the highest level of intensity, nor is it practical because even sprinters whose event features just that, that one, like one and done type uh, high intensity bout, their training doesn't only resemble that simply because it comes with the highest uh, fatigue. There's the most energy expenditure. So there's the most time needed to recover between bouts. You can't do it as repeatedly. Um, do you see any connections between that? And uh, I know we've kind of, we're past strength training, but just maybe in like one cool. last farewell to strength training, do you see any correlations between the energetics here and the energetics involved with strength training at all in terms of just cost of return with fatigue? Um, so with... Yeah, go no, you go ahead. So but I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what he's asking here so do you so do you see what i'm do you see what i'm asking so the the metabolic kind of equivalent of weightlifting and kind of endurance training i guess right yeah so i i look at it like this you have multiple different uh sports that are affected so if, if you really want to compare you know apples to apples i guess in the in the purest sense I would compare my sprinters, my Hussein Bolts of the worlds, my Justin Gatlins of the worlds, to my power lifters. No. I see what you're saying. Because you know there, you know there, there's an. I think right before the Rio Olympics, Hussein Bolt came out with a thing that said he's never run a mile in his life. Right, because he doesn't have to. He has to run 200 meters. So he's very specified. You know, very specific to running that 100-meter and 200-meter dash. There's a reason why he never ventured into the 400-meter realm because, you know, he just physically never trained that, that long duration. But then you get to your, your longer events, your 400 meters, you get more into they got to balance speed, power, and endurance. Mm -hmm. So there's really not a weightlifting equivalent. I mean, the best would be your CrossFitters. Um, but weightlifting – for the most part, if you're just trying to be a pure weightlifter, you're probably not going to go out ever and do long, slow cardio. Um, I mean, it will benefit you. There's not going to be like it's you, there's there's not going to be like don't ever do it. But very often, you'll never see that programmed in for a powerlifter or a strongman or anything like that. And you'll probably never see that with a hundred meter dash person like Hussein Bolt. I mean, you might see it in some high school and college programs where you do some of that volume, but I mean, the, the generalists, the ones that need to be all fields, all realms, are your team sport athletes and your CrossFitters. And they need that, you know, there's, you, they need that, those, all those systems to be able to perform. Would having a more advanced aerobic system and oxidative system benefit uh, Olympic lifter? Of course it would. But then what comes back to that, that give and take how much time do I spend conditioning them compared to how much time do I spend actually having them lift weights? So, you know, there's always a give and take with this stuff. Um, 
One thing I wanted to ask really quick before maybe moving on to the anaerobic glycolysis a little bit more was, uh, do you think EMOMs, is that is that like basically the closest or best example of DPR or CR, whatever, I can't remember the acronym for it. There's many different ones. Yeah, there's many different ones. Is that the best example for training that system uh, in conditioning? Oh, no. I mean, that that's probably the simplest. I mean, I know that we've programmed with you and some of the athletes like repeated sprints with minimal rest. Um, and I know you can, you can have a, you have a personal anecdote of, of physically dying, trying to do 10 sprints and yeah, then, and then what you ended up doing them right after a few months of training. Yeah. So, I mean, you can talk about that. That's, that's one way you can improve that system is by actually just stressing that system with 30 second, 20 second, all out bouts and doing repeats. Yeah. So if you have a workout of a four, uh, or five sets of 20 to 30 calorie assault bike sprints and you're going as hard as you can means the the rest is going to have to be longer but let's say you do well i think he was referring to uh are you talking about the one where you gave me like uh i mean it was uh an imam style but like the, the, the 18 uh minute imam 100 meter sprint on the minute or something like that yeah, i mean it could be that or you know i think we did something similar where you just did like all out sprint and then you had like a minute off and then all out sprint and a minute off. Like your rest was determined not by an EMOM, but just by a minute or something like a one-to-one work to rest ratio. I think what I was getting at ultimately is if you're trying uh, to improve that, um, I think just going forward, uh, how should we refer to the system easily? Just call it the phosphate system. Okay. So moving forward, the phosphate system will be that, which is, associated with the most suck, right? Yeah. Um, if an athlete is working that system and notices a drop-off to where intensity diminishes, would they, per your explanation of the energetics, want to stop the session and know that that's just where they are for that session and after multiple months of training it would improve? Or would they just try, try, keep trying to like grind it out in order to improve the phosphate system? So... You can, you, can, you can have two thoughts, and this is probably not the best answer. You can grind it out, but then you have to worry about recovery. Mm-hmm. So if, I'm, if, I'm gonna, if my, you know, my program says do 10, 20-meter sprints or 20-calorie sprints on the Aerodyne, and I hit six, and now it's taking me a minute and a half to do 20 calories or two minutes, and I, now I'm just pedaling at you know, 80 RPMs and, 20, and you know, 300 watts then am I getting the benefit? And then if I keep doing that, I just beat myself into the ground. Now tomorrow's going to suck. Later today is going to suck. And is that going to hurt my programming? So you can do it where you do like a, a drop off in performance. So if your time, so if you actually can think about this while you're breathing heavy and embracing the suck. So if I row 20 calories in 28 seconds, it's probably impossible, but let's say you can do it say 30 seconds, make the math a little bit easier. And then I do four of them. And on my fifth one, I'm at, you know, 42 seconds. Well, I've, you know, that's 30%, 35% drop in, in time. I probably should call it quits because now I'm just going slow. So you can look at it that way. Like I'm just going to grind through it, but how am I going to recover? What's on my, what's on my plate for the rest of the day? If you really want to get a mental kind of just grind session, or I'm going to keep doing this and I have a target time of 35 seconds. And as soon as I don't hit that target, I'm done. So 
the first one's 28, the next one's 29, then I do a couple 30s, and then I hit a 31, and then I'm done for the day. But I think another, it seems like we're talking about the training variables for each system before moving on. Mm-hmm. So my next question is where I was kind of allowing yeah. that to go. Yeah. Um, like so we, we have a lot to say, but it, we're seeing how it comes together on the fly. Yeah. Um, something else to talk about there then is, you know, you're talking about recovery. Is if, we're fo- if we are training this uh, phosphagen system, how many times can we expect to do that throughout the week and still have good training? Um, and with then maybe, maybe at the end, yeah, with all the, with all the other aspects of training, because and maybe at the end of, of all this, we can talk about, well, if you're trying to train each of them, what would the frequency mm-hmm. look like? But if we were just looking at it from a basic standpoint of the phosphagen system, we've talked about the intensity, the duration, uh, it's like maybe the frequency or the, even the loading of it as well. Where should, should you start with 10 sets, five sets, or how does that kind of look? So if you are extremely trained, you could probably get to three days a week of this. I'm talking not, not, I mean, we're, we're talking anaerobic power kind of testing this system with, you know, bike sprints and, you know, erging of some form or running. You could probably push it to three. Um, if you're starting out one, I would say kind of two spread throughout the week. I wouldn't do a, a Monday, Tuesday. I might do a Monday, Thursday with this. And depending on how hard it would go, you might not even need to do any cardio type stuff after. Um, so you're going to kind of have to balance, you know, this that ebb and flow. And we talked about the ABCs of, of how we rank these orders. But this is this is a category A exercise, so I don't want two A's in a row, and I might want an A and a couple C's between the two. So ideally, I mean, I'd probably say two for the, our normal listener. You could probably do it a Monday, Thursday, or a Monday, Friday. Give yourself two days rest, and not saying that it's going to fatigue you as far as you're going to be like super sore, like oh, I I did bike sprints and now I can't walk the next day. No but it's just going to tax the system and you don't want to keep, you know, pounding your head against the wall, do it over every day. So it's not like you're going to wake up the next day after doing 10 bike sprints and be, you know, roasted, but you want, you give your body a time to recuperate and, you know, build back up from that performance. So you're talking two times a week spread throughout the week. Um, Duration is going to be, depending on the, the length and kind of what you're doing modality wise. Um, if it's a bike sprint, you know, primarily if you're on an, on an aerodyne or an assault bike, it's going to be a, a little upper body, primarily your quads pushing those pedals down. So you got to think about what your programming is around that. When's your leg day? When's your heavy legs? Cause they're going to be fatigued. Um, they're going to be, you know, have to restore those glycogen stores you burn through You're you know, you are causing some muscle damage because the intensity is high enough. But I, you know, I, I like if, if I had to give a general consensus on how you start this, I would pick um, a goal that you think you can do in about 30 seconds. Um, and calories are probably the easiest way to look at it. So um, 15 calories, 20 calories, depend on what modality you're on. And just say, how hard can I do that? And then set a limit. Say, my goal is to do everything under 30 seconds. And the time I don't do one under 30 seconds, I'm done. So if you could do five the first week and then six the second week and then week four, you're doing 10 bike sprints, you know, then you can see the improvement. 
don't just say I'm going to do 10 sets of 10 sets of this because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're taking a minute and a half to do 20, you know, calories on the erg, you're probably not working. You're probably going pretty slow at that point. And just a kind of like a, a tip to throw in uh, from a programming slash coaching standpoint is that when you're writing your athletes uh, intervals and it's more monostructural, those results are pretty clear cut. Um, hopefully the athlete is, is reporting that or you're, you're aware of what these splits look like. However, with EMOMs, I feel like they're just written uh, and seen as a way to get an extra volume and skill, which they certainly are, but without much thought of the duration per piece mm -hmm. and this idea of having intensity drop off where we're not training uh, the phosphagen system anymore. So you can have, especially if it's a newer athlete, them report the approximate time per exercise mm -hmm. uh, so that you know, okay, well, where do I start the EMOM? Where do I start, like you said, mm -hmm. the loading on a, a bike or a row? Well, because an EMOM can eventually just turn into an AMRAP, right? You're taking a whole minute to do the exercise. Which, which, you, you would, which is training. We'll get to what that trains, but that's training a different system. When you write for the EMOM, as as I think I'm trying to get here, you want to know if, if you're not there to see the athlete that day in training or if you're training remote uh, or training this athlete from a distance, you want to know on average how long these uh, exercises are taking per minute. If it, And it could be timed differently, right? Mm -hmm. it, you can spread out the rest however you'd like, but that's just a very valuable piece of information to have from the beginning so that you can advance it appropriately. I just thought I'd, I'd throw that in there. And, and what I was getting at before in terms of like the fatigue, like what are the fatigue costs? I was really actually just phrasing the question of frequency the wrong way. If you oh, that's what, what I'm saying. Ask. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, but just really quick, and then I think we should move on to the anaerobic glycolysis more. Uh, for that, just for that example you gave for the listeners, and you said, you know, 30 seconds, what, what would you start with rest-wise as well? So I would, I would start with uh, basically a two to one rest to work ratio to begin with for people who aren't used to hitting this, this system very hard. So if your rest is, if your, if your goal is to do it in 30 seconds, I'd give yourself a minute rest. And then as you progress through, then you can slowly de decrease the rest. But that, that two to one work to, or rest to work ratio, however you want to describe it. So whatever your, whatever your work is, multiply by that by two, and that will be your rest. And then eventually, ideally, if you can get down to that one-to-one -one ratio, you're probably in pretty good shape as far as stressing the system. Yeah. So when you learn, when the textbooks say that it should be four or five, phosphocreatine stores uh, aren't replenished until at least minimum, like they say like 20, I think, even close to that. 20. 20 to one. Yeah, or well, one to 20, however you put that. Yeah, but 15 I, seconds, it should be like. Well, yeah. yeah, so when I'm, I think at least in the textbooks from when I remember you professing, it would just be like, I remember, is and I don't know if this is correct anymore, if we found it any different, but that these phosphocreatine stores, and I presume, of course, I didn't think to ask this, but like how intensely you're pushing, that yeah. it takes two, 30, like two minute, minutes and 30 seconds to three minutes to kind of fully resaturate the system, if it can all, at all be resaturated. Yeah, I mean, so that that's the that's it depends on if you're trying to train it 
We're trying to maximize the output. Yeah. Okay. If you're trying to train it, so I want to fatigue that system. So let's say I it's at 100%. I use 20%. I go down to 80. And during that minute, it goes back up to 90. And then the next set, it goes from 90 down to 70. My rest brings it up to 80, right? Mm-hmm. And so I slowly diminish it, which means I, I stress the system. And once the, stre- the system is stressed enough, adaptations will occur. But if I want pure output, like so if I'm doing, you know, all out 20, you know, um, 20 calorie row, but I want to, I want to be the best. I want the best times each time. Yeah. Then you probably want your long recovery so that there's not this fatigue factor. But if you are trying to improve that system, you want to fatigue it. And and you can still have, uh, I think as we've alluded to just by the nature of imams or having multiple sets of, uh, calorie sprints that you can not optimize these recovery stores, but still at least on paper and in performance, not have a huge decline as long as you don't hit what we call your threshold. This could be, we define as uh, your lactate threshold, a point at which your, your body's natural systems can no longer buffer. If you think of when you do these hard bouts of exercise, uh, your body's this waste system and your your lactate is trying to control the waste from boiling over. Uh, but there is a point that if you hit it, you just can't go past. And many people know that feeling. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're saying is you can keep the rest fixed so that while it's not optimized, you can still keep performance relatively consistent, right? Yeah. So that's, I mean, and then when that consistency drops off, then you've kind of fatigued the system. I guess I guess one wait, thing. Wait, when it drops off, you fatigued it, or so let's say you have that window of fatigue. So it takes you thirty seconds, and you give yourself a window to thirty-five. You know, and, and you know it burns, it, it sucks for the second rep, third rep, fourth rep, and then that fifth rep, you're at like forty-five seconds. I mean, at that point, you've completely fatigued the system. You know, especially from a, a time perspective, because then we're going into a different system entirely. Yeah, because you're in order in order to, in order to go for that long, you've, you know, at this point, 30 second repeats, you're probably burned through your phosphagen system. You've burned through your glycolytic system. You start to have that burn because you produce a lot of lactic acid, primarily just acid. And now you cannot maintain that intensity. Just like we said, intensity and duration are kind of, you know, go hand in hand. So my intensity drops and therefore my duration goes up to 45. Not saying that you wanted your intensity to drop. You just physically have fatigued those first two systems that you cannot maintain that anymore. Yes. Well, I, I think, uh, and we really should move on to the anaerobic glycolysis. Really? Okay. I think I've talked. We've talked. kind of been talking about it, you know. Yeah, we mix in there for sure. Um, was for the again for the rest intervals. You know, Zach brought up the in the textbooks. It may say three to five minutes, or they may give you these long ratios. How if someone read that and they say, okay, well, I do need to have limited rest or not limited, incomplete rest. How do they know, okay, actually a two to one or one to two might be, is actually where I should be. Why not like two minute rest? Because that's still under the three to five minute rest. Um, okay. We, there, there's two ways you could look at this. You could do a standard one, like, you know, textbook. Um, there's also, and this is, we could get into, this is a little bit of biofeedback. There's a couple ways you can look at it because, because heart rate and intensity and recovery are related. And so kind of as breathing. Yeah. So, 
if you if your heart rate drops 40 beats so if if you have a heart rate monitor you have something you can test your heart rate or if you just want to count yourself and you get off the erg or the assault bike and your heart rate's 180 uh, if it goes back down to 140 you're 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 recovered you know enough to hit your next set so a good biofeedback is you know my heart rate jumped up to 180 now it's 140 it's below 140 i can go again if you want to look at more of a physiological based recovery model rather than just pure time um, and that might be hard to program for people unless they've been training with heart rate monitors breath is also a way you can look at it because our breathing rate is definitely affected by the um, acidity in our blood so the one way we buffer acidity in our blood is by breathing it out in form of water and co2 um, so when your breathing rate returns down to a steady state um, you can usually go again um, so that's there's kind of two little biofeedback cues that you can do if you don't want to do the traditional work to rest ratio. Um, but if you go with the biofeedback um, and you're not stuck with a time, you can get lazy. And this is kind of my caveat to using biofeedback is, oh, my my heart rate just went down from 180 to 140. And then you neander over to the bike and you sit down on the bike and then you hit start, you know, you can, you can game the rest if you're doing biofeedback, but if you're on a clock, I mean, 20 seconds is going to be 20 seconds, regardless of, you know, how long it takes you to walk and get on the bike or something. So biofeedback is great as far as physiological rest and recovery, but yet it gives you a point where mentally you're just like, man, I'm still tired. And yeah, my heart rate's back down to 130, but I'm going to, I'm going to take a little bit more time. So if you're really disciplined, you can use biofeedback. Um, but kind of the caveat to that is you can also game the system a little bit rather than just having two minutes and that clock says 158, you know, you got two seconds to get on that bike and go again. Cool. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about AG. <laughs> anaerobic. So, so the anaerobic system and your, um, phosphocreatine system are pretty similar as far as the that they're going to burn through a lot of energy quickly um if you do repeat bike sprints that 30 seconds is going to eventually start to creep into your anaerobic glycolysis um system so the first one the second one the third one so you do have like a nice little switch from phosphocreatine to glycolytic that are, is pretty seamless actually um and some people can hardly tell the difference the biggest thing you can tell when you dip into the um, anaerobic glycolysis system is this buildup of lactic acid. And I know that I just got read a tweet this morning that they just published a huge review on the, the misconceptions and history of the lactic threshold test. Um, and I can give you a quick idea that lactic threshold is an idea of at what point does our body start accumulating lactate and now, without going super deep in the physiology, as your body breaks down sugar, there's a point at which you come to what we call a metabolic crossroads, and your body can either produce um, lactate or it can produce pyruvate, which pyruvate then gets turned into acetylcholate and goes into the oxidative system, or it turns into lactate and it binds to hydrogen and becomes lactic acid. So if you don't have oxygen, you produce lactic acid. If you do have oxygen, you go on to the Krebs cycle and the glycolysis. So their idea was that measuring lactate is going to tell you how often 
you are going without oxygen. So the more lactate you have, the more times you've gone through glycolysis, broken down sugar without oxygen. So this idea that lactic acid is a marker of that for the most part is true, but it's primarily an indicator of how much acid is being produced by the body. So when you get this burn, oh, I have this lactic acid burn in my body and I got to work out my lactic acid. You're not working out lactic acid. Lactic acid is actually shuttled out of your muscles pretty quickly. Um, We're finding out that if you produce lactate in one muscle cell, the neighboring muscle cell might actually take that lactate from you and use it to produce energy. So lactate itself isn't bad. It's the acid that the lactate has been bound to. So by going through glycolysis and just purely glycolysis without oxygen, you are producing a lot of acid in your system. And if your system gets too acidic, acidity ruins a lot of the enzymes, um, ruins a lot of the way our muscles contract, the way we send nerve signals, and therefore we hit fatigue, we feel the burning, our body doesn't like to feel being burned, it slows you down, has a neuroinhibition. So most commonly when we talk about glycolysis, that lactic threshold, which still is a very valid and useful tool, is an indicator of how much acid your body's producing and thus how much pain you're feeling. I'm trying to, so if, well, first we can, let's just say the time duration a little, it's, can, can it last about three minutes, correct? No, it's, it's, it's uh, a minute. Uh, so you're looking at 45 seconds to 90 seconds for the system at, at, you know, full go. Oh, okay. At full go. Okay. So just to clarify, so about that, would so, the this study suggests because you can kind of it sounds like during the test itself, I imagine an athlete at a metabolic crossroads in like a like a funny little cartoon. <laughs> but um <laughs> uh but because you might kind of like perhaps dip in and out or start in one and end in another, it's just easier to look at how much acid is present as, as, and their ability to buffer that acid as what you're testing really? Is that what, what you were saying? Yeah. So we can't, there's not like we can go in and draw a line in the sand and say, this is the point at which Zach has moved from the phosphagen system to the glycolytic system to the oxidative system. But then there, it's all very fluid, but the, an indicator of where we've primarily been anaerobic or without oxygen is how much acid we build up. Cause if we're oxidative, we don't build up as much acid. If we are anaerobic, we build up more acid. So acid is just a good indicator of how much you're actually producing or okay. the system you're in. Yeah. Um, so when you said 45 to, to 90 seconds. I was going to ask a, a phosphagen question, but we're on to AG. I'll, I'll <laughs> save it for when you said 45 to 90 seconds all out, is that where like after 90 seconds, uh, you're not going to be able to complete the same intensity? Yeah, your uh, intensity will drop. So like, if you can maintain the same, same intensity for 90 seconds, then you, you know, if you go out and you run a 800 uh, meter dash and your first lap is the same as your, you know, eighth lap or second lap, you know, that's a good indicator. But if you go out in your first hundred meters at 12 seconds and then your, you know, fourth hundred meters is at 18 seconds, you've started to build that up. And at that, at a certain point, that system still might be working, but not at the high level it was during that 12 second hundred meter dash. 
Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I think that that time domain uh, really suggests how when you look a little bit closer at um, CrossFit and most like erging events and uh, running events, it's going to bleed into oxidative uh, phosphorylation pretty or faster than most people realize. Yeah, I mean the the idea that that all these these events are really highly oxidative because you're not going to be able to you know no event is a 10 second event that's not pure strength you know or if, you know most of these are you know your fran's going to take you know minutes you know your all those things take more than just a minute to do so you have to have a good balance of both the glycolytic and the oxidative systems yeah and to really think about it or to not think about it but to understand that like you said it's not the it, it is the the dimming of one light while the other gets brighter, not the turning off of one light while the other's flicked on is very important. And it's why we train these systems concurrently. It's, you can't just be doing 30 seconds of bike sprints with high frequency. Well, one way I've seen this, uh, split up before Sobo and you may say that this, uh, given the example you just gave, isn't the best way is we could change anaerobic glycolysis or not change it, but you could split it into fast glycolysis, which would be more of that 45 to 90 seconds and then slower glycolysis, which would be that three or five, maybe up to eight minutes. Or are you saying yeah, that I mean, would that, be a bad? I mean, you, that's still, I mean, glycolysis is the initial part of the oxidative system. Oh, so, okay. you know, so in, if you take a gram of sugar it's still got to go through glycolysis to go to the Krebs cycle to the electron transport chain. So it still has to follow that pathway. But if it's longer, it just means you have enough oxygen to send more, more, um, more molecules to pyruvate than to lactate. To lactate. So the switch on the wall is closer to each other than separated kind of yeah. idea. Yeah, I mean, it's, the, the, it's, it's a fluid model. It's not like It's not cut and dry, which I think a lot of people think it is. I mean, there's a lot of gray area in these models. Yeah, one thing we were joking about before this, uh, or I've mentioned, is that there seems to be, and I guess it's in strength training too, but um, there's like a million names for every different part of conditioning. <laughs> there's just a lot going on. Yeah. And yeah, um, we don't know. I mean, we've we've found that, you know, just like I said earlier, like your, your muscle fiber, you know, you have thousands of muscle fibers in your legs, one muscle fiber may be producing a lot of lactate and the one next door may be taking that lactate and using it to produce energy. I mean, so one muscle fiber may be completely anaerobic and be fried out. And the next one next door might be like, all right, give me all your, your stuff. I can keep going. I could do this all day. You know, so I think uh, the next step here should be, we're going to start a training program that targets individual muscle fibers, oh, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 Is that, is that what we should do next? So I, <laughs> With with the stuff that's out there, I'm that surprised was we haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that, that was a joke. We're gonna target the we're gonna target just your type one A fibers only with this day, only that fiber type, and then on Tuesdays will be your type two X fibers of the sartorius and not of the yes yeah. medialis. Your 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 lat your lats uh, type two fibers, but not your type oh one fibers. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! You, I I I think we're onto something. Okay. <laughs> Crazy. Um, 
Let's let's before we get into the topic of breathing, let's talk a little bit well, more. I think we can split up. What's a, a good training example here for both? Oh, okay, um, maybe like an interval example or a I longer duration. Just get ahead. I, I yeah. feel like we're okay. out. so yeah. yeah these, like, these are your longer durations. So this is now your 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 minute of work, if you will, or. You know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Everybody's assault bikes are different. Everybody has a different aerodyne and depending on your calories, you row. Um, so you're looking at you like your 45 second to a minute, maybe a minute and a half. So, you know, this could be your 400 meter repeats. I know that like, you know, CrossFit used to do the, the track triplet where every, between everything they had that 400 meter run. Um, so this could be your 400 meter repeats. Cause that should take anywhere between a minute and a minute and a half to do. Um, that's a good way to test it. You can go below a minute. You're probably pretty quick at, as, as a crossfitter. Um, so that's a good interval, a good distance. So think about about a minute to a minute and a half of work is what you're really going to stress this system the best. Um, and what are we looking at for similar thing, rest times there, frequency, uh, frequency stuff like that? So two to one work to rest ratio I'd start out with. So if it takes you a minute and a half to run a lap, take three minutes off and slowly progress that down. Um, really hard to do EMOMs unless you're like in a gym on an erg or something. You can do 500 meter, you know, repeats with, you know, but that's going to take you two minutes. So your EMOM would be like a two minute EMOM, I guess. Um, but this, it, it depends on how you're structuring it. You could do this. Um, these workouts, um, one to two times a week, like you would the other one. Um, I would stress that this is going to be a little bit harder, um, to, to replicate multiple times a week than just once because that longer duration is just that much more load and volume on your body. So, you know, you can do a 30 second sprint you do 10 of them, you know, you're, you're 300 seconds of work. But if you go out and run 10, 400 meters dashes to do for time, you're going to, that's a lot of volume for the day. So I'd actually say that one to two is probably your best for this. And I would not do high volume as far as like reps, like you get into 10, you're way too much. So I'm talking like four to six, six being at the higher end for doing repeats of this duration, just because it's going to, it's, that's a long time to be going hard. Cool. Four, four, four by four hundred repeats is probably a if you can do that and maintain a good pace, that's that's gonna that's gonna wake you up and and, and work you out pretty good. All right, Lock data system. Yeah, oh, my favorite system. <laughs> I thought you <laughs> I I would uh, based on your programs would say that AG or CRP was yes good. definitely based <laughs> on your programs. Having us both uh, experience that. Oh no! See, the, the, I I I just want you guys to feel the pain. That's why I prescribe you guys. Awesome, actually, especially the freaking air down, or salt bike. <laughs> no, so the, the the oxidative system is what all of our listeners are in right now. It's what the three of us are in right now. It is our nice long term, produced vast amounts of energy over slow periods of time. This is where we can burn fat. This is where we can burn a little bit of protein. Um, this is where we take, you know, one molecule of glucose and turn it into, you know, 38 ATP. Um, so 
this system is the underlying base of everything we do. So even when, Kyle, you're doing those horrible aerodyne sprints, your oxidative system is still working. It is still working. And when you recover, what's going to build back up the ATP stores and give you energy so that you just don't die after every set is your oxidative system. So the oxidative system is the, the crutch of it all. So if you do not have a good one of these, that 30-second rest you had between sprints or that minute, you're not recovering. So that, that pure recovering process is your oxidative system. So you can go out and crush yourself and do a 30-cal all-out bike, but then if you can't recover, you can't do another bout. Even though you might that first bout might be the greatest, you're not going to get a second bout unless your oxidative system can help you recover. So this oxidative system is the engine that drives the car, but yet you want to look at, you know, the fancy, you know, gas pedals and all that stuff. But the oxidative system is truly what is the workhorse of our body. So when I say it's my favorite, it's my favorite. It's not my necessarily favorite to train directly, um, but you do train it indirectly with a lot of the work um, that you do in the other zones. So you can't run away from the oxidative system. You can't hide from it. It's always there. And it is the key underlying factor for performance. And a, a great thing about training it is that it comes with less uh, recovery cost. So you can do it with greater frequency. Uh, and so training it in and of itself will come with its benefits that allow the uh, higher intensity systems to recover. But also in that system itself, you can begin to, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought as a, a phone call came in, not wanting to come on the, the laptop. But um, uh, training in and of itself is a, a great opportunity to also practice your skill. Um, so if you're a CrossFitter, uh, as we've mentioned before, you realize quickly into the sport that you can't keep intensity high all the time. But in dropping the intensity, uh, you can because like Sobo said, you're naturally in the system. You can realize, well, you can still do your AMRAPs. Uh, you can be in this oxidative state, but still get good practice and, and practice good efficiency. So it doesn't only just help you recover between bouts or within a session, uh, but it also helps you just get in volume and practice good mechanics. And it's it if you are a CrossFitter out there, I just got done watching the documentary, the what, 10 years of CrossFit that they posted. I think it's on like Netflix now. And, and just even watching the events, how much of the events are actually in this, in this time domain and in this um, endurance slash your oxidative system domain. I mean, think Murph. Murph is not a two-minute workout. Um, at CrossFit Games, there's not a two-minute workout. So you need this system to be worked very well. And just like uh, Zach touched on, I mean, it's easy and you can recover from this. If you want to go just do a 20-minute row and you have a low intensity, you row for 20 minutes, row for 30 minutes, you can get off that rower and not limp around and your muscles aren't going to be sore. I mean, you'll probably be breathing heavy and you'll probably take a little time to recover. But 30, 40 minutes later, 
you're not going to be still dead like you would if you just did a heavy squat. So it has a very valuable place in sport. Um, once again, weightlifting, not so much. CrossFit, a huge spot. Um, team sports, field sports, I would say that people forget about this. It's probably super important in a lot of team sports. Um, but it's easy to do. There's low low intensity, higher volume, and faster recovery from these type of workouts, which I think is very, very important to think about. Um, so have we? Sorry, I was. I got distracted a little bit, guys. Have we talked about the, we the duration, time, and intensity there? Uh, as for the details of uh, duration, it is that which is after ninety seconds, after yeah. that which is anaerobic glycolysis. What we were discussing, kind of so while you were speaking, is that we might have to extend this to simply another show where we talk about examples of the aerobic system. Uh, get a little bit more into our own questions and the system's importance and also kind of maybe spend some more time talking about uh, breathing and breathing's role in this whole equation. Um, because we and maybe we, a little bit more practical examples for each one. Yeah. And, and, and also how we can kind of tie them all together uh, yeah. in an actionable program. Um, so realizing that we might have gone Longer than we expected. Perhaps we got caught up on that first system a, a tad yeah. too long, but we'll we'll make this a two part piece. Um, are, are there any Sobo kind of like take homes that you would want to have for the listeners at all? Um, my take home for this week would be, you know, if you if you have a the time and opportunity to test this in some form or fashion. Um, if you have a, a erg, a rower, a, a salt bike, or an old aerodyne, or even a track, or somewhere where you want to run, um, find a time domain around 30 seconds and see how much work you can do in that, or figure out a good work time. Say, oh, I know I can do, you know, 15 calories in under 30 seconds, and then test yourself. Say, I do it. How many times can I repeat this before I see a 20% drop in fatigue? So like your time. So if it takes you 30 seconds the first time, you know, if it takes you as soon as it takes you 36 seconds, you say, wow, I could only do two, two sprints or two, you know, aerodyne sprints and I died. And so then you can say, you know what, I need to improve on that. I should be able to do more than just two. So test yourself in a simple fashion that, you know, test that, that phosphagen creatine and anaerobic glycolysis system you can do it fairly easily because if that improves if you can do go from two sprints and in six weeks you're doing 10 sprints you don't need a fancy piece of equipment to tell you you're you're better at those systems now and you should fill it in your training as well um i think i think that's a, a great point and also to be if you haven't trained that to be patient with it too uh because you might you're not, not going to improve from two reps to 10 reps in a week yeah, uh, because 10 times in a week. I mean, do it. You know, what I program for people is I do it, you know, once a week. You you know, every Tuesday, you know, you have your bike sprints. I got two this week. Next week, I want to get three. The fourth week, I want to get four. And there's a simple progression, measurable model that you can follow to track how well you're getting better at improving those systems. Yeah, so uh, kind of like when you gave me five by uh, 50, like one of the first weeks, right? <laughs> But um, I, I, I think because uh, it's, it's 
finally uh, connected to uh, that, that is the, the phosphagen system, people's willpower and psychology. So we can even touch on that as we kind of wrap things up in part two. I, I think a very important takeaway is that the, and this uh, applies to strength athletes as well from a recovery standpoint, is that if you are fidgety and bored and you're an athlete and you've got extra time on your hands, you really can't lose with extra low intensity, steady state, or what we call oxidative type work. Um, If you want to get extra work in at no cost, that's where you get it in. Um, Where I think a lot of people, when they get fidgety and they want more, they add on that, which is most metabolically taxing. Would you, have you seen that so at all? I I completely agree. It's real easy that if you're, if you kind of want a little extra work, just hop on an erg and, and we call this paddle, paddle for 20 minutes. You're going to do a little bit of work. It's going to keep you from being fidgety, but it's not going to drain you. I mean, you think if anybody's ever seen any documentaries with Rich Froning or, or uh, Frazier, I mean, they're always hopping on an erg and just rowing to row at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for what has now become part one of our cardiovascular adaptations uh, uh, episode. Kyle, any sign off words? Thoughts? No, I don't have anything specific. All right. Uh, so just uh, to remind you as for what to expect next week, we'll touch and wrap up the aerobic system that we want to spend a little bit more time, or sorry, the oxidative system, uh, spend more time there. Uh, we want to talk about breathing. We're also going to talk about uh, some of the uh, perhaps uh, mentalities and uh, uh, uh psychologies around the, uh, the CRP system because I think that's important. And that kind of ties into what has become popular in breathing nowadays. Um, so uh, we're going to sign off, guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you, guys. Have a good one.